0: We are proud to introduce episode 10 of Origins Unknown Podcast. My name is Claire Huntington and together with my co-host, Chris Holt, we would like to thank you so much. It seems surreal that we have already been doing this for 10 weeks. The amount of support, community growth and learning happening has exceeded all of our expectations. We are excited to introduce this two-part series featuring our first foster parent and fellow Canadian, Chris. Chris and his wife, Nicole, became foster parents to adopt one of his family members to keep them in the family. As adoptees, foster parents are key figures in our stories that we often overlook and can't usually get information regarding. It is strange to think that as we are being processed through the system that we are placed in foster care. We would also like to thank our newest Patreon, Melissa Good, who subscribed at the OUP Light tier. Thank you so much to all of our Patreons for your support.
1: Welcome to Origins Unknown Podcast. My name is Chris Holt.
0: And I'm Claire Huntington. And today with us, we have a very special guest. We have our first and possibly youngest foster parent, and a fellow Canadian, Chris. Chris, tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: How's it going, guys? So, yeah, my name is Chris. Uh, I live in Ontario. And the the short start of the story is, yeah, I uh, found out about my biological niece, and I just got married in uh, May of 2006, and found out about her. And in order to adopt her,
1: keep her in the family, to become a foster care. That's actually where it started. Interesting. Okay. So this is really intriguing for me because I really, honestly, I know nothing about foster care. I know nothing about foster care systems and, and how it all works. So it's really Awesome to have you on because I think a lot of people, when we talk about adoption, we just, a lot of people just think of adoption, but I think that there are so many other gray areas and other facets of this umbrella that is really the point of this podcast is to showcase and, and share stories like yours. Um, so what we're going to do is just kind of bounce some questions back and forth between me and Claire, and uh, we can kind of just kind of go from there.
2: Sounds
1: sure good. All right, so... First question we have, uh, what's the difference between fostering and adoption and why do children get placed in foster care?
2: So there's actually uh, a few different options when it comes to fostering or adoption. And myself and my wife, uh, we were actually in that kind of in that situation, I guess we were foster to adopt parents. So there's, there's a straight foster care. Uh, there's foster to adopt. We were also emergency foster parents which meant if there was a child that had to be taken out of the home for any reason at any hour of the day they could call us and they could come to see us to stay with us until they figured out something else okay. uh yeah foster uh, foster child anybody's gonna be with us while the parents are getting cleaned up for whatever reason or if you know they just have something going on where the child was taken from their home they will stay with us for however long and foster to adopt was uh several children that we actually had in our care that was going to be an option, um, for whatever reason or another, they, um, uh, ended up going back to their biological families. But, uh, yeah. So, I mean,
1: there's the difference between them, I guess, is, is a little more permanency. Over anything. Okay. So that you're essentially like for some foster parents, they're kind of essentially on call, like whenever something might come up type of thing. Part of it was yes yeah, so okay. we, would have, we would have like a foster child in our home and we could
2: still get a call for emergency or we also did relief as well so when there was okay. when there was families that were going say um traveling to the states or something and they're're they're not allowed to take their foster child for whatever mm-hmm. reason they can come and we will give them that relief so they'll stay with us for maybe a week or two or a weekend or whatever it may be
0: so on that vein, how does a child enter into the foster care system? What, what are the different ways?
2: Uh, legal, legally, I probably couldn't speak to it, but with uh, just with my experience, it would be a matter of uh, a child who's, who was at school and uh, a counselor or a teacher might have seen marks on them or have some sort of question as to what might be going on at home. Uh, there's been children who have brought themselves into care. Uh, And essentially, if there's, if there's a call made to, to children's aid, um, over the welfare of a child, then children's aid will actually go investigate that and they'll, they'll see there at that point if there's something that needs to be done or the child needs to be taken from the home and then placed, uh, into, into foster care. Like I said, it might not be for a long period of time, but they Mm -hmm. would still come to our house as opposed to, Okay. So
0: who actually brings, like, who will actually bring the child to you? Like, would it be a caseworker or CPS or yes, caseworker? Caseworker. Okay, cool.
1: Okay. And then I don't know if you know this, but like, how long does a child usually stay in foster care? If that is, is it like a, is there an average or something that's typical?
2: No, I would say it's really all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had to give it an average, which I'm not sure if you really want to use that, mm-hmm. but if I had to give an average, I'd say probably, probably about three months, three to six months. Okay. Um,
0: what's involved in the process of applying to be a foster parent?
2: So in order to be a foster parent, actually go through quite a substantial amount of paperwork. They want to know your family's history, your history. Uh, they get pretty deep in with it. They want to know if there's any type of sexual abuse or alcohol abuse, drug abuse with, it may go, they may ask you about your grandmother, your aunts and your uncles and they actually want to know, they'll put you on a scale uh, from like one to five, whether if you're, if you you drink, if you socially drink or you have a drink like once or twice a year, they'll put you under like a two, which for us sometimes was, it was pretty, it made you kind of feel Worse when you're like, no, I'm not like a social drinker. I just like a month <laughs> of a year or something like that. Yeah. So it can't, it, it's, it's rough. You um, you have to put a lot of yourself out there. Uh, but I mean, essentially it's for the safety of the child, right? They want to know yep. their time, where they're going to be going and where they're going to be spending their time.
1: Uh, you do have to get background checks done. Oh, yeah. I was just wondering if uh, if there was a psychological profile involved with the screening process. So there's not a technical,
2: like, you're not seen by a doctor or anything like that. Uh, okay. it, it comes within the questionnaire. Like, they will, they will pick out, they'll ask you some of the same questions, slightly different. Okay. And it may seem repetitive when you go through them, but for them, that is, if that's telling them, that's kind of giving them a little bit of direction as to how you might think. So it's, it's kind of, I don't want to say it's cool to go through, but I mean, you definitely, you you question some of the things you're answering and mm. realize that it's it's for a specific reason. And yeah. it also happens when you have like you'll have like monthly meetings with with your uh, your worker and stuff like that will come in. Oh cool your home, make sure everything's okay. You do go through an extensive uh home checklist kind of thing that you have to have before um, before or while a child is in your care. Everything from Fire exits to where things are, can things be locked up to the child? Uh, yeah, so you have to go through uh, pretty extensive.
1: Okay, and I guess just for our listeners, um, just in case this was missed, but this is for Canadian kind of foster care, which I'm assuming is going to be slightly different than American foster care. Now, I would say I would say that
2: Ontario would even be different from Canada. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. So
2: yeah, from other places, other countries.
0: So interprovincial foster care system—it's different every province. So I don't know about the states, but I think it's the same. But the really difficult part about adoption and foster care is that the legislation differs depending. Well, for at least for adoption, what year you were you were born, but and then foster care differs from like province to province to state to state. So you, it's okay. also very difficult to adopt, like foster kids from different provinces. Just because there's a foster parent in a different province, you can't necessarily put a kid there. So your resources for foster parents are largely allocated to your own province. Got Correct it, me got if it. I'm wrong.
2: That will actually differ from city to city as well. So when we okay. got started, we actually went through London because that's where our daughter was born. Okay. And we lived in St. Thomas. So we did have a worker through London. We went and did uh, what's called pride training to be a foster parent through London. And then when we, after she was fully adopted, like we we named her, we brought her home from the hospital or everything like that. Um, So we've had her from day one. When she was fully adopted was when we went, sorry, let me back that up. When we found out about her, we, in order to be kin,
1: we had to become foster parents if we wanted to adopt her. So that's why we had to go the foster parent route. Got it. So that's the foster to adoption type of thing.
2: Right. Okay. So once we had that done and she was adopted uh within the next year. Uh just after I'm sorry, within the next year. Um, we decided at that point, we're like, we went through all the training, we went through all the booklets and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So let's continue on with it. So we actually went on to having uh, I think we, I think we figured probably about 15 children within five years in our care and wow. so some of them were relief, uh, four or five of them were actually meant to be adopted, uh, okay. but for whatever reason they ended up going home. Okay. Um, yeah. So what was the other question you
0: asked? Um, um, I just want to start with Chris really quickly. Yep. So just to backtrack, so you adopted your niece, correct? Yes. So, this is actually, this is our actually, Chris, our first uh, instance of an in family adoption, one of the classifications we talked about. So, for our listeners who are just tuning into this podcast, there are different types of adoption. There's closed adoption, where, which is largely anyone before 2000 was a closed adoption where the records are sealed. Open adoption is where adoptees can usually, usually have like some sort of relationship with the, uh, birth parents, and then in family adoption is when someone will actually adopt a family member to keep them in a the family.
1: All right. So, uh, Chris, what it, what are the most significant challenges associated with being a foster parent for you? Uh,
2: for myself, the, the challenges we had as foster parents were, I guess, one of them being in a smaller city. We know a lot of people, and it's hard to really kind of get away from having whatever child in your care. And you're going out and you're shopping around Walmart or you're shopping around other stores and you come across like the birth parents. Um, oh. those interactions, they could be awkward interactions and stuff like that. It makes it difficult when a lot of people know you and they're, and they're going to know your business. Um, that, that tends to be, uh, pretty difficult. Um, D- does that happen often? Yes. Wow. <laughs> it, wow. It happens almost. We're, we're, so being in St. Thomas, there's almost 40,000 people. Um, my, my wife is literally called a wife and I'm a social butterfly. So <laughs> I just, happen
0: to. you know, <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, we actually had two previous foster children who go to that same school now, they didn't typically know. So we'd watch them come in. You watch them walk by their parents may see us and try to avoid us. We'd go to like the YMCA and go swimming. And like they they would be there with their kid or something. Mm. And they'll go to the other side of the pool. Like it just it didn't have to be awkward, but in, in their in their sense, in their cases, they tried to avoid us as much as possible.
0: I could see that too. Like it like for just going from their point of view to like it would probably bring up a trigger, you know, mm-hmm. like wanting you're wanting your child. A lot of times we talk about birth mothers and like that that hallmark view of adoption that we see is not always the case a lot of times birth parents are really you know they may have done something that wasn't what they wanted to do and they're fighting for their kids back so they're going through the steps and i think maybe seeing foster parents could be a trigger of that time almost like bring up a bad memory
2: if there was parents out there where something happened and it was there was like if somebody had made a call to a child um saying that something was wrong maybe they just need the house cleaned up maybe they didn't have you know enough groceries at the time that kind of stuff does happen the majority of what we had was uh, pretty pretty upsetting and and negative things to to the children so Mm -hmm. i do i do get that the the trigger would be there for people to see them
1: yeah like addiction is addiction you know and it's it's a real thing and and it's challenging you know and it's um you know it's unfortunate but our main concern at that point is the
2: children. No matter what somebody seems to be going through, that's why we did it was because somebody needs to be able to help these kids at the time. So if that meant yeah. to so stay with us for a few months while parents are getting cleaned up or getting their uh, their lives together and stuff, And you know that's, that's what it was. And we were more than happy to help at the time. Oh,
1: that's amazing.
0: Um, what is the most rewarding part of being a foster parent?
2: Knowing that um, if a child's kind of gone through a rough start, uh, watching them develop and, and grow, meeting, meeting these goals and stuff that might not have been there. Uh, we, had, we had a child in our care. Uh, when she was born, she's put on the Finnegan scale, which is a scale. It's like a scale to 10. That uh, if they're born with any kind of drugs in their system or anything like that, on a scale. So the one child we had was actually like 15 on the scale. She went up above uh, this 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 rating of one to ten. Uh we actually had to give her a shot of morphine every four, four hours for the first month of her life. Jeez. We were told she we were told we had to feed her, we had to bottle feed her away from us because she would hallucinate while she was going through withdrawals and stuff like that. She's, yeah, she had uh she had um Marijuana system, oxycontin, and in her system, and yeah. And this is an infant. Yeah, she was days old. Whoa, days old. So yeah, so we had to. So when that kind of stuff happens, and I mean, you worry about that first month Mm
1: because
2: you're you're basically keeping her medicated to help wean her off these drugs that are in her system. When you go to those doctor appointments and they're meeting their weight goals, or they're you know they're they're growing properly, and, and these doctors who have been through all this kind of stuff, they go, you know, we're so proud to see that she's she's coming so far, and she's she's gaining that kind of stuff. Really, kind of makes it it, it makes it worth it.
0: I just feel like any kid that has you guys as a foster parent has just. Run the lottery. You're so fun. It sounds like a lot of these kids are
1: coming from unfortunate situations, so it's very easy for them to be exposed to things that obviously aren't going to get them ahead or or put them on a path towards success or anything like that, or to just thrive. Um, and I think it's just beautiful that that's what you guys do is you you create a, a safe haven. The way we treated it
2: was we we treated every child coming into our care like they were our children. They knew. To bond, they need to, to be able to feel confident and comfortable with people around them to help them grow. So they were very much our family because in certain aspects of it, there was an opportunity that they might stay with us for night. You want them to develop, even if they're with you for a short period, short period of time. You want right. them to go home knowing that their development didn't stop. It wasn't just a, this kid's going to visit and continue on slightly living. Yep. While things are figured out.
1: Yeah. I think in this country in America, just growing up and seeing any type of portrayal in movies or shows, it always just showed a foster home to be a very kind of scary place. Like it's just a, a halfway house type of place. Like the people that run these places weren't, Super invested, or they just viewed it as, oh, this person and this child is only with me for a certain period of time. So I don't need to, you know, go above and beyond because it's temporary. Um, but obviously that's not the case. And I don't, I think it paints a terrible light on foster care. And, um, again, maybe there are homes like that, but
0: there are. I'm just 100% I'll I'll
1: be honest. There, there were a couple of times when we came
2: across foster parents who unfortunately they, they had like, as many kids in there as they could, and uh, like a you know, factory, they, they they do give you money to help um, uh, to help with things. But to them, it was treated like a job. We so when we talk about being relief foster parents, we had we had seen a couple foster parents who went away on vacation, and specifically kept their foster kids at home. Oh, uh, that's terrible. So that was very seldom, very mm-hmm. seldom, because we knew a lot of good ones. And that's the thing. It does. It does hurt a little bit when you watch. It might seem very minimal, mm-hmm. but when I'm watching the show, and you're watching something like CSI or Chicago PD, Chicago Fire, Chicago but all these shows, and you see it, you see it portrayed as yeah, it's a very negative space of just these you know, people who don't care. You're, mm-hmm. you're just a number to them. You're just in there for a paycheck, and it does. It does hurt because you sit there going. Now, do people see us that way? But I don't think they have because we try to. You know, we're so proud of them. Yeah. Not, we can they them know they won't now. Three to six okay. months, we can we can know them for two days. Okay. We going to treat them exactly the same way we would with our own children.
0: Yeah. And I think that's just like so incredible. To hear, and that's why we wanted to open this up to a bunch of different, you know, different avenues of this community. And I think hearing your rewarding story, I think that if we could get a lot of other great people like you to foster, and you know, have this as a call to arms, and I'm hoping that there are some perspective. We have some questions following this for, for prospective perspective foster parents because it it does get seen as a very difficult job, and it's even portrayed as too a very difficult thing to do more so difficult than rewarding and so hearing you talk about this and seeing you light up and the joy that it's bringing you and your wife it just it totally reframes it into something that's accessible and human and also an age thing i wouldn't have thought because you were 21 when you did it
2: Uh we figured out the math and it was was, i was like just
1: turned i just turned 22 22
0: that's ridiculous like i was 22
1: no no at 22 i was not mature enough I was not mature enough to.
0: But you were. He he probably wasn't. So that's the thing is that it's like, if you think you can help, if you, there's never a right time to help your fellow man. You don't need to be completely set up and you don't need to feel perfect. And and hearing you talk really open and honestly about the process made you feel bad, but it's protect the child. I think that's really incredible.
2: Yeah. It's, it's hard. And as you talk about, you know, a call to arms for, I, I do, it is very rewarding. Um, it is also, you have to be mentally and emotionally ready for it. At one point, uh, to tell you about our youngest, um, we had our youngest from the time she was three months old to the time she was three years old. And she went back to a father who should not have, uh, should not have gotten her back. Um, we went on. She was one of the children who was at the school that my daughter would go to, and they would see each other, and there would be upset things happening. Her stepmother would uh basically give her trouble for talking to, to my daughter. Uh. And that was rough. Fast forward uh a couple more years, and she brought herself back into cares. So the the two girls we have now is my my daughter and our our youngest, who is ten, and she so she left us for seven years. We wow! Stopped, we stopped being foster parents. It was very hard. We decided to move on because we kept taking. Um, when we took children in, we took in babies, infants, or toddlers the whole time. When that happened, we said, "You know what? Our daughter needs a chance to grow up and not, you know." Very hard when you have babies, it's very hard to go out places if you not <laughs> bottles, nap times, you know, diaper bags, all that kind of stuff kind of keeps you grounded for a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had stopped and years had passed. We only found out because she had brought herself back into care at nine years old. They called us and said we had your number on the file. <gasps> we, and we went, yes. Wow.
0: That's amazing. We're so like, going
1: oh, the- have to go to like, care. Yes. But that is almost, like, just to think as a nine-year-old, she did it herself. Like that just honestly is a testament to what the, I mean, whatever situation she was in, like that it's heartbreaking for, I mean, to make a decision like that at nine, that's a very mature decision to make. It's scary. I mean, I, I wow, that's, that's a brave little girl.
0: And that's what you said, Chris, like it had to have been like, you know, hard for her like I wouldn't have we talked about we weren't mature at 21 I wouldn't have been able to do that at age 9 and it's a testament that you guys showed her what a wonderful home was Yep. right yep. and like what a great what a great feeling for her you know we don't hear a lot of happy stories I hate to say and uh, but
2: we, we considered it our family being completely there it, oh. it was it was the oddest feeling because yeah. she came to visit us she had no idea who we were at this point she kind of forgotten. she was the reader. yep she came to visit, she came to visit us with a worker and she seemed very unsure. We yeah. had, we had spent, we were up till, I think, two, three o'clock in the morning, going through all of our photos, pulling out this big album that we could show her the next day, so we put it on our TV and we're going through the photos, we're like, here's where you took, we took the camping. Here's where you did this, here's where you did that. To try to connect with her, so she knew that this was gonna be a good place. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I can't. I don't know. I can't talk too too much on it. But uh, as it stands, we're very close to having full custody of her. That's awesome. So it was something that when she left us at three, we thought we'd never see her again. To the point where she's with us now. She's been with us for over a year. She came when COVID started. Got it. World win stuff. Yeah. And when we talk about kids who who meet these goals and who do so much better, we talked to the school that she was at. She wasn't listening, she didn't have friends, things were going very bad. To her report cards now, and she's got these B's, and she's got an A on a test, and she's her teachers are saying that she's doing she's growing yeah. so well things. That's amazing. It makes it worth it, and we're so happy to have her back.
1: Yeah, and that it goes back to how important it is, I think, just for the development of any human being to be amongst you know, a loving, supportive kind of healthy environment. You know, I think it's, it's so, so important. Um, but uh, the next question I had was um, <clears throat> what resources are available to foster parents in Canada?
2: No, so CAS does offer um, classes you can take. If there's, if you're dealing with a child who, um, any any children with like medical issues or any children who are, uh lg lgbtq mm-hmm. um they you go through all these types of training that they will give you to better understand the child that's in your care um you, you do have uh our our youngest now has uh has her own lawyer for for court cases because she's old enough now to kind of have a say mm-hmm. so no. you supply with uh with legal counseling and stuff like that, there is other counseling that she's going to need that will be provided. Um, yeah, they, they try very hard, I guess, to, to make sure there's anything you need to understand or anyone that you need to reach out to to kind of help you through a process. They have those contacts. And uh, they're, willing, they're willing to kind of give you whatever you need to be asked for. So when, when you great.
0: say she has a say, um, that's really interesting to me that she's old enough now that she has a say I, I didn't uh, not to be, um, you know, not to be ignorant to that, but how old, like what age does that happen where she now has her own lawyer and her own voice? That's incredible.
2: I would say it'd probably be about nine or 10. Nine or 10.
0: Yeah. I didn't.
2: Wow. So she that's
0: (laughs) exciting. They, they,
2: they have a, they have a voice to a certain extent and they will, um, it will, it will help in the process. Um, yeah. Cause it's a it's a non biased legal <laughs> uh, partner who can kind of help help voice her opinion and stuff. So mm-hmm. so we have monthly meets or so with her lawyer and anything comes up with court cases and you will will talk to her and ask her what she wants and if there's if there's anything I can do for you. Uh, typically, children younger children are going to just. Well, this is what I want. And you know, make it happen. <laughs> want mm-hmm. this. They might not, they might not understand the, the extent of what it is they're asking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when it comes to unfortunately, when you're dealing with uh, an infant or a toddler who, who doesn't have a voice, who can't tell you that something may or may not be wrong, it's very hard. You see a lot of children go home because of that. As a child mm-hmm. gets a voice when they're older, they can kind of say, I really want this. And when she, when we have our, when we have our monthly readings with workers and stuff like that, they'll ask questions like, if there's anything I can do for you, what can I do? And her answer has always been, I want to be adopted by Chris and Nicole. I wanna, this is what it is. And every time that she, she sticks to that answer and then the workers will come back and say, you know, we, we ask her this and ask her that just for a bit of transparency. And she keeps saying, all she wants is this. And, you know, it's, so it's nice that she does have a bit of a say. Um,
1: I just, I just picture a nine year old in like a power suit with like a briefcase, like, you know, like kind of like, yeah, this is the way it is. You know, it's just like, that's amazing.
2: Knows what she wants <laughs> and she's, she's ready for
0: it. I like how I've um, assigned myself as emotional guardian and self-appointed auntie to every child we discuss in this podcast. I've already picked out her birthday presents. You,
1: you, you, yeah, you do do to that a lot. I which get is, really excited. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I can't help it. Well, I think it's so it, it actually speaks Chris to part of the reason that Chris and I started this podcast is to create resources. And one of the things that Chris and I really had to struggle with is, you know, curbing some of our colloquialisms and perhaps some cuss words and things and languages that we talk about and framing it in a way that if this could be a resource for teenagers or young people going through things, you know, we want to be the thing that we needed when we were at those ages. Mm-hmm. So it, it is really hard not to become emotionally invested in our OUP adoptees oh. and family. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah. Well,
0: and we want to show every side, Chris and I go through all of our DMS and emails and we'll actually take the time to unpack what people say. So if something that we've said, in any way upsets you or triggers you and you want to discuss it, you know, send it to our email and start it off in an open way and know that we will respond and we will take the time. Oftentimes we'll say, do you want to have a phone conversation? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, So that is another thing too.
1: Yeah. It's, it's challenging because of the topic. I mean, what we are talking about is so sensitive, it's intimate, it's personal. So we kind of knew going into it that you're gonna we're gonna offend someone, you know we're gonna mm-hmm. say something incorrectly. and again, we've said in the very beginning that we are not experts. We are kind of on this journey yeah. with you, but the platform that we're trying to develop is more of an open platform for everyone to share their stories yeah. so that people can hear it because without talking about it, you're just gonna assume things or like I, I don't know anything about foster care because I've never really talked to anyone that is in that space, you know, but the only way to learn about it is to talk to people like you, you know, exactly. and to hear hear these sides. And, you know, uh, it's I just wish, you know, for any of these viewers that are or listeners, <clears throat> just understand that, you know, this is kind of a learning curve and there's going to be ebbs and flows here, but just understand, you know, we are kind of, a lot of this information is brand new to Claire and I and, and we're mm-hmm. just lear- learning as we go. So if, if some people can just be slightly understanding over that, because I know it's going to be quick. Some people are very reactive because like I said, these are all triggers and it's all sensitive, but just understand that, the, you know, we're not trying to highlight one side over the other. Nope. We want to share both, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's really, um, it's not about Claire and I anymore. It's really more about, no, it's not about you, Chris and, and everyone else, you know, so.
0: And to that point, so adoption really is such a polarizing topic and it's something that Chris and I identified in in the community that there are so many separate subsects of people in the community. And so people who are in our community, so such as like foster parents, like yourself, we've had people who were um, created by, you know, technology assisted birthing methods and whatnot, and that we've all been put into these categories and these boxes separately. And if we could just come together and have discussions, but we've come to the conclusion in these discussions that this is a real time, as we said, view and Chris is my journey. So this is going to be great a great view that Chris and I may look back on some of our past episodes and cringe. Right. But this is, we, I might get to a point in my journey where I'm saying, Oh, gross. Why did I say that? Like, Mm -hmm. Oh, facepalm. But no, this is literally as I'm experiencing stuff real time. So, and like talking to you, I'm learning about foster care in a way that we only as adoptees hear about foster care as a footstool into what we're doing. And I was talking today with Nicole, one of our, our past interviews that um, we really would love to see who fostered us. That that's a missing piece that we wish on adoption records that our foster parents were there because what you do, we want to know who was there with us for our first years of life for adoptees. We don't have that discussion even with our adoptive parents. There's it's a year, I'm sorry, year, sorry, year, year and a half for you, Chris. And I think a month and, a, and two weeks for me where I don't know anything,
1: mm-hmm. right?
0: Those are like your pivotal years. Chris, you can speak to that too because yours is much more crazy.
1: Yeah, I mean- I just know from a birth parent search that my brothers and I were separated because according to this post-adoption services, they said that foster mothers back in the eighties couldn't take care of a lot of children. So they found two foster mothers in the same neighborhood, but the more digging and the more Korean adoptees that I met said that was all kind of like a lie that foster mothers were taking care of 10 plus babies. So there is a lot of, and this is more towards just Korean adoption and the, societal things and cultural things, but the system over there, there's a lot of sketchy things. I've been trying, I've been in contact with post-adoption services in, in Seoul, and they have been giving me the runaround for, it's going on four or five years now, or maybe four years, where they won't give me the email address of our caseworker that met with us once a month for medical checkups. She still works in this 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 organization, but they won't give me her, contact information and they keep on saying well she doesn't know anything i'm like well okay i don't care if she knows anything i just want to meet her but the fact that they're withholding this email address makes me believe that she does know something and they just don't want me to contact her or
2: connect with her but to me you have right to know
1: yeah and it's it's frustrating where you came from and how you came about yeah like who
0: changed your diapers and like who held you and like who knows what your first smile, like your first steps. And like, for me, it's just so crazy. And we were talking to one of our past adoptees, Nicole, she had this man, Jay, who was helping her find all these people. I think that's just,
1: yeah,
0: I know. I'm very excited to mobilize and get to know Jay, but I think that you don't realize as a foster parent, how important you and your wife, Nicole, how important of a role that you play in that you know, I think it'll be interesting as these adoptees get older and they turn 18 and a half, which crazy to me. That's when you get to know. Um, can't like 18, I can I can vote. I can buy smokes. I can drink. But I can't know till 18 and a half that you'll have these kids that are going to come looking for you because you guys are important. You're very important.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I I get that 100%. There's There have been times where we have had children in our care for a year. A year. Um, and then when we've seen them, we've seen them like at a fair or something like that just in the city. And they said, I, I haven't told her anything. And I'd like to get that out of her life. And you should are going, at some point, they're gonna go, why, you know, from the, from the time I was born to the time I was one, where are my pictures? What is my story? I was my first, losing my first tooth? Was, so we actually don't get to know, it's hard for us because children will leave. And we are constantly going, what's happened to them? How are they doing?
0: Oh
1: But that's what I I, I, I just wrote down the word inspiring because I think the way you're describing is that you could totally, like you said, you could take on a child for a year, two years, three years. You were invested. You're invested. And then all of a sudden they're taken away. And then it's just, th- that's got to be the most jarring thing ever. And then, to then turn around and say, you know what, it, you know, that's unfortunate, but every child that comes in, we're going to treat them like they're our own. It's so easy mm-hmm. in my mind for anyone to just become jaded and say, you know what, what's the point of investing all my heart and emotion to someone and then having it ripped from me, you know, so I'm just going to be kind of like closed off and cold and put up this wall. But uh, again, I just give you so much credit to be able to continue to have that mindset going into any situation with any child like that's it's we need more people like you in this world so
0: what resources are allotted for foster parents and the system to assist in family preservation
2: there's there's opportunities when when there's when there's a specific background um CAS will actually ask what your background is, if you have a specific religious background. If you if the child in care is indigenous, they actually will try to keep them um, with other indigenous families. They they try to keep those core aspects of, of the child with whatever potential family they're with. So they they do they're extensive in their in their questionnaires and stuff as to. What are your religious beliefs and what is your cultural background? Mm -hmm. You provide this to the child. What steps can you take? They will ask us as well.
0: Um, Just quickly to follow up to one of the things, uh, part two of that question, uh, when you're fostering in the instances where there is the hope to reunite the family, do the birth families, you know, are there visitations or what's that like when, when you're just kind of in the instances where you're saying you're just helping them out. Like what what are the visitations? Like yeah, the relief. Yeah. yeah.
2: So if they're on what are visitations on our end or on, on the on,
0: on the biological parents end. So if, if you know that the kid is just there, you know, and and it's the hope that the birth parent is able to to reunite, like what what's that like like what's that dynamic between like do they have access or like
2: so depending on the situation they're in, they can very much get a hold of their workers. So there's there's several workers. Um for each so as foster parents we have a worker then in certain instances the child will have their own worker and then the biological parents will have their own worker as well okay so what they're doing is is the biological parents will be talking to their worker they'll say all right well i'm going to be here access happens quite often they just set up dates and they're they're met at a like a middle ground area whether it's at a, a CA's building At a park or whatever setting, depending on how it is for the child. If it's not safe for the child, they will pull access. Um, if they, if the parent doesn't show, like there's, there's times when we would send children out to go to access visits and the parents won't even show up. Wow. They won't show up. They will call the child sits there and they wait and they have to sit there and wait for a good amount of time before a driver will bring them back home and they, they miss their meeting. So, um, they tend to be a little lenient on things like that sometimes, in my own personal experience. Um, so if say a biological, biological parent missed a visit and they canceled it or whatever, or just didn't show up. If they miss like three of them in a row, then they've got to ask for it again. If they go to two, they miss one, they go to one and they miss one, they go to two and they miss one, that can continue on. So it can be harmful to the child. So we just hope that if there's a parent out there who's really trying hard and they're going through and, and they have access to their children for visits and stuff or to keep in touch or whatever it may be, uh, that can be multiple times a week. That could be once a month uh, in some instances. And in, in ours, we're trying to talk about, you know, having visits in a year, having, you know, keeping it open to um Step parents and biological parents and grandparents to come to birthday parties or Christmas things. Like it, it all depends on the situation you're in, but for the, for the, for the instant. So basically when the when child's first brought into care, um, the access to the parents, if it's, if it's healthy and if it's safe can happen quite often. Okay, and it, it is easier for them to just keep in touch with their worker and set up those times. We kind of mesh together and see what works for. Mm -hmm. Uh, schedules and everything and they they will have access.
0: Thank you for listening to part one of this two-part series. Part two will be released next week. Please check out our Instagram and Patreon for more exciting things. If you'd like to connect with us on Instagram or TikTok, you can find us at
1: Origins Unknown Podcast.
0: You can follow my co-host at
1: Beyond the Tats. You can find me at Seabear Huntington. We're also on Twitter.
0: Follow us at Oh Unknown Podcast. If you'd like to visit our website, it's
1: Origins Podcast.com. Also, if you'd like to send us questions, uh, share your story, or even just say hi, you can send us an email
0: at Hello at Origins Unknown Special thanks to Pace Randolph for writing, performing, and producing the audio for our podcast. Follow him on Spotify for more wonderful music. <laughs>
2: I think I walked the long way home,
1: and I'll fall, just pick me up and hold me
0: close when things get rough.
1: And you never walk the road
2: 'cause we've all got.